go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. This is on child size this morning. I'm just going to get the different one. Everybody there? I'm not. (laughs) Okay. What I want to do this morning is uh, I want to pull out four, well, I want to mention four things. And then I want to see if we can uh, look at those four things through the book of Ruth. And they're important themes, not only to the book of Ruth, but to the whole uh, story of the Old Testament. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to give you those things right up front, and then we will uh, kind of breeze through the story, and then I'll, I'll make some points at the end. Um, so the four things are desperation, or barrenness, or hopelessness. Those are all of a, of a kind. Um, the second thing would be kindness, which is a little bit of a, a weak English word for the Hebrew word chesed, which um, is really one of the primary attributes that we see in the Old Testament of God himself. The kind of faithfulness, long-suffering, I think the King James translates it sometime. Um, loving kindness. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a dedicated, faithful love. And so that's the second one. The third one would be redemption or redeemer. And I'm sure all of these are, are obvious to you having spent time in the book of Ruth. And then finally, inheritance or lineage, or you could also say name. Okay? So, um, in the beginning of the book of Ruth, it makes it clear that it's in the time when the judges ruled. And so we need to remember and recall our time in Judges, uh, the darkness during that time, the anarchy during that time. If you remember how the book of Judges ends, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what? That which was right in his own eyes. Okay? And so here's this family. They're from, uh, it says, a man of Bethlehem in Judah. There was a famine in the land. And Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's no bread in the house of bread. And so they go to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Moab has sketchy beginnings. Moab was a son of Lot. Um, And then fast forward to the book of Numbers, where Israel really becomes ensnared by Moab, particularly the young women of Moab. Do you remember this? At the end of the book of Numbers. uh, This is where Balaam becomes involved. Balak, the king, enlists Balaam to try and and derail the blessing from the people of Israel. 
And so the, the scheme that they come up with is to seduce them via the young women of Moab. Okay? And you see why that's significant to, the, to our story here. A, a daughter of Moab was a snare to Israel. So he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And I'm going to give you the, the meanings of, of the names here. Because especially in this story, they're, they're very significant. Elimelech means God is king. Naomi means pleasant or lovely, which she tries to change her name later to bitter. She tries to change it from pleasant, lovely, to bitter, Mara. Uh, their sons' names are Malon and Kilion. Malon means weak or sick. And Kilion means frail. Obviously, these are children of a time of famine. Okay? And so they're there in Moab, and Elimelech dies. And so these sons, together with their mother, take wives in Moab. Elimelech is dead. Um, The family line needs to be passed on. And so they take... Uh, They take wives, less than ideal wives, from the land of Moab. Daughters of Moab, it even calls them. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, which means the back of the neck or to turn one's back. Okay? And you see why this is significant. She ends up leaving, going back uh, to her land. And Ruth, which means friend or companion. They lived there about 10 years, and then the unthinkable. Both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is a desperate situation. Not only is there a famine in the land, but they have gone in search of food, and the father of the household has died, the provider has died, the sons try and and rise up to take his place, They die. And so Naomi is a widow with two widow daughters-in-law. And you can't think of a a more desperate situation. Especially in this time, it's it's dangerous for women without protectors. Very dangerous. You see all the, the stuff that went on in the book of Judges. These are dangerous times for a family like this. Okay, so the death of these men means that that. The women were exposed and vulnerable, uh, but also that their lineage was cut off. Their inheritance was cut off. Their name was going to be blotted out. Not to mention the emotional turmoil of being a widow. And in Naomi's case, losing two sons. And so they have this exchange, and Naomi basically says, you guys would be stupid (laughs) to come with me. Don't stick with me. You're still young. Go back to your family. Get married. Would you not get married? That would be unthinkable, is how she she says it. And we know the story. Orpah finally says, okay, and she leaves sorrowfully um, and goes back. And rightfully so, right? I mean, that's the the rational thing to do. Ruth, however... Uh, and this is where we get our first glimpse of the, the hesed of Ruth, the kindness, the loving kindness. She, she sees beyond her own 
situation, which is dire. And she says, you know what? Naomi, I'm going to stick with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. I'm, I'm removing myself from my native land, my native religion, everything. Everything about me is going to change because I'm going to stick with you. I'm committing myself to you. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And that's covenantal language. Okay? What do we say in a marriage ceremony? Till death do us part. That means absolutely nothing. I now 100% belong to you. And this is what Ruth is saying about her relationship to Naomi. So they come back, and uh, in chapter 2 it starts out, and it says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, he was a worthy man. And we get glimpses all through the book of Ruth about Boaz's worthiness, which was, I think, rare in those days. He was a man, we know that he ran a business. Okay, He had workers, and he ran it in a godly way. He comes into his field, and he says to his workers, the first thing he says, he greets them in the name of the Lord. The Lord be with you, and they say, the Lord be with you. It's a great relationship that he has with his workers. He doesn't oppress them. He doesn't cheat them. He's a fair man. Okay? This is a picture we have of, of Boaz. And so God's, God's blessed him, and he's a worthy man. And so Ruth goes to glean in his field, and we remember from uh, some of the laws, there was a law in Israel that if you, uh, if you had a field and you were harvesting, if some fell on the ground, you, don't, you, don't pick it, you leave it there for the needy particularly the widows and the, the oppressed, okay, the poor. And so Ruth knows of this law, and she says, uh, I'm going to go to a field and glean. I'm going to go uh, find some food. And she encounters Boaz, and he says, who's this woman? And they say, that's Ruth the Moabite. She's always called Ruth the Moabite. Got to make sure that we, she's the Moabite. But what do we know about Ruth? She has denied her Moabiteness. And she has committed herself to Naomi. Right? And he says, he says, I know about you. I know what you did. I know you did it for Naomi. So she has this reputation in Boaz's eyes. This is a worthy man. This is a good man. He understands mercy. He understands Hesed. And he says, I see it in you. I know what you did for your mother-in-law. May the Lord bless you for that. Okay? So, what we see is a woman who understands the loving kindness of the Lord. And we see a man who understands the loving kindness of the Lord. And they are realizing that about each other. He says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's beautiful. Um... 
she goes back and tells Naomi, hey, this guy, <laughs> this guy was really nice to me. And she goes, what was his name? And she says, Boaz. And she goes, that's, that's Elimelech's kinsman. He, we're related to him. He's our redeemer. And she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So all through this book, you see this kindness, this kindness. So, Naomi, um, shrewd Jewish matchmaker grandmother type that she is, um, she concocts a a plan. And she sends Ruth to go and, and meet Boaz again. And there's the whole thing with the uncovering of the feet, and I'm not sure what all that is. There's some cultural distance between us and them, so we might just have to leave it at that. Um, but for a second time, after Ruth comes to Boaz, he says, may you be blessed. So two times he says this in the book. One is, he says, I know what you did for your mother-in-law. And this second time is significant too. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after. Young men, whether poor or rich. You want to come and, and unite yourself with me, Boaz. He must have been a little older if he's talking like this. You didn't run after the young men. You came after me, the old farmer, the businessman. And you didn't allow yourself to be drug about by, by all of the, uh, the distractions and the temptations of youth. And so she must have been still young at this point. And he says, this is a sign of hesed. You've committed yourself to your mother-in-law. You've uprooted yourself from your native land. And you've kept yourself pure and chaste. And you've sought refuge and redemption from me. Who I, I don't have youth to offer you. Okay, I'm not, I'm not necessarily appealing according to the flesh. And he says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Remain tonight and in the morning I... um, But there is a redeemer that's nearer than I. And this is another sign of Boaz's uh, righteousness and integrity. He doesn't just say on the spot, all right, let's do this. Let's do this transaction. Let's get married. He says, you know what? There's someone closer. I need to give him the first right of refusal. Okay, so the, the, what I want you to see at this point is that Ruth has a reputation in the eyes of Boaz, and it's a reputation for kindness. Boaz has a reputation, and it's shown in every action that he takes, and it's for kindness. Hesed. Neither Ruth nor Boaz um, is particularly mighty or strong, but what they have speaks loudly of who God is. Amen? Now, I want to spend some time talking about this last, um, this last exchange between Boaz and the Redeemer. There's two backdrops here um, from the law, the Old Testament law, and the first one is the law of uh, leveret marriage, which is where uh, actually, let's just read that uh, from Deuteronomy 25. 
If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother. So there's this name, lineage, inheritance idea. That he may not be blotted out of Israel, which is one of the things that was, that was desperate about the situation of Naomi. The name of Elimelech was about to be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My brother's, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Um, house is another thing that you could put under the, the idea of inheritance and name and lineage. House, okay? So that's the, that's the redeeming of a brother's wife, a brother's name. The closest kinsman would provide offspring uh, so that his name would be perpetuated. So that's the first thing. And then this, but the second thing is, is the issue of land redemption, which is found in Leviticus 25. And it's just, there's just a quick verse, and I'll just read it. Um, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, this is chapter 25, verse 25, if you're taking notes. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So there's these two things going on. And what Boaz does is he sets up this transaction in the way you're supposed to do it he goes to the gate of the city he gets the elders the ten elders and the way he presents it to this closer redeemer he waits for him to come by and he says hey friend Um, which it's significant that this nearer redeemer remains nameless because he's the one who's concerned about his name scripture keeps him nameless right did you notice that you don't know his name um, and it's hard, to fi- it's hard to figure out who exactly he is. Um, so he says, friend, the wife, the widow of Elimelech, Naomi, uh, has this land. She needs to sell it. You up for some land? And he says, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for the tip. And he says, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And he he, he balks at that. And he says, then the Redeemer says, then I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Wait a minute. This land comes with a widow? I'm out. Right, he only wanted the, he only wanted in on the deal to increase his land, 
to increase his territory. But as soon as it became, as soon as it became the redemption of a widow, well, that's going to cost me. And that's a price I'm not willing to pay. Um, and I think that Boaz set this up. The guy has to save face. He has to turn the deal down altogether. He can't just take the land and leave the widow because there's the ten elders and everyone's going to know what a scumbag this guy is. So he says, you know what? I'm just going to back out of all of it. So Boaz, he takes the land. But he doesn't... We don't have any evidence that he was greedy for the land. The whole point was he wanted to be with Ruth. He wanted to redeem Ruth. He loved her. He saw her faithfulness. He saw her her kindness, and he says, I want to take her to myself. I want to redeem her. I want to raise up the name uh, of, her, uh, of her dead husband and perpetuate my kinsman's name of, of Elimelech, which is God is king. So there we have it. Um, that's the final act, really, in, in Boaz's life where we see him really reflecting this faithfulness and honoring and esteeming in Ruth this hesed and faithfulness. Just like Ruth kept herself from the young men, it seems that Boaz has kept himself from the young women. And he unites himself and he marries this widow in whose life he sees evidence of God's true character. Now, how did Boaz know all this stuff? How did Boaz become such a righteous man? How did he understand the preciousness of Ruth's actions? Matthew's gospel says that his mother, Boaz's mother, was Rahab, who herself had shown a willingness to leave her people, to become united with God's people, and who had received from God's people loving kindness, hesed, faithfulness. They said, if you will, come with us. And she, she protected God's people. She aided God's people when they were coming in to take the land. She was instrumental. And they said, we will, the people of Israel will show you kindness. Now, and through, through the generations. And so this very next generation in Boaz, he's evidence of this kindness and faithfulness. And then the, the book, the, the climax of the book, is really in, in the last part. They say, um, once the transaction takes place, and, and the two are united... There's this blessing that's spoken over them. It says, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. And then at the end it says, These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, and that's where Matthew adds, by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. What do we know about David? He was the king. He was the chosen king. God is king. Amen?
Elimelech's name is perpetuated. God is king. Not only that, but David, we know, is the kingly precursor of Jesus. The lineage of Jesus. So here's here's the thing. It wasn't through the judges, the political and military leaders, that God raised up to protect his people. It wasn't through the likes of that that he ended up bringing Christ into the world. He raised up those people, but ultimately that was, those kinds of people, those kinds of leaders, were not ultimately to be the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel came through the likes of Boaz and Ruth, who understood Hesed, who understood that these small faithfulness, relatively anonymous, who understood that the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed. Right? This is what brings, ultimately, the true Redeemer into the world. Amen? Um, So we need to think about that. When you think about bringing the kingdom of God, when you think about our inheritance, how do we go about achieving and preserving and maintaining our, our inheritance? It's not through political means. It's not through military means. The kingdom of God is established when his people receive his love, understand their desperation before him, come to his feet and say, spread your wings over me. Cover me. We have nothing unless you redeem us. And then he says, yes, I will. And he brings us to himself. And through our union with him, and only through that, comes into the world, the hope of the world, true redemption, the life of Christ. Do you see that? It's a beautiful picture in Ruth. It's a beautiful picture of... I see in here what Jesus saw, I think, in the, in the widow who came up and offered her two coins. All she had to live on. And he said, she has given more than these Pharisees gave out of their abundance. It's these kinds of stories that Jesus comes and he sees when he walks the earth. He says, that's what I'm looking for. We're talking about a mustard seed. We're talking about a widow with two mites. This is how my kingdom comes into the earth. When you totally abandon yourself to to be loved by me and to love in the way that I love. That brings Christ into the world. So can we amen that? And can we, take, can we take joy in the fact that we are not being raised up like the judges? Thank God. A motley crew, the judges, who, in, like, in spite of themselves, averted disaster from the people of Israel. <laughs> Thank God that that's not what he's doing in his people. What he's doing in his people is he's building into them 
loving kindness. He's building into them true selfless love. And he's saying, receive that from me. It's all you have. That's all you have going for you is is my love for you. And if you realize that, and if you are truly desperate, if you understand what a widow you are, and you're willing to come into my house and be loved by me and be covered by me, I will, through your life, make the bitter pleasant again. Amen? I will make the bitter woman, the hopeless woman, the woman at the end of her rope, I will bring her to life again. And she will see her Redeemer. She will see her name. She will be raised up in the earth. Amen? So, that's the story of Ruth. And I can't think of a better launch pad to, to move into a time of, of considering the, the life of Jesus. Um, like Boaz, he came to offer love. But he also was very quick to highlight where he saw, just like when Boaz noticed in Ruth, he would highlight these things in these moments. And often it was through the lives of Gentiles, through the lives of people who weren't really called, called the, the people of Israel. Their name was not, uh, was not in, the, in the line of, of Israel. And he would say, you know, I, I see greater faith in them than I do in Israel. And I love those stories in the gospel where he points that out. Um, so, that's where we're headed. And praise God that he loves us, um, that he takes notice of our helpless estate, and that he is able not just to ward off disaster from our lives, but to redeem us. And that's the difference between the judges. The judges did not redeem Israel. They stopped the bleeding. God through the likes of Boaz, redeemed Ruth. And there's a difference. Uh, And we are redeemers. We have been redeemed, and we are redeemers uh, for the people around us. We don't just save people from destruction. We take them out of heading toward disaster, and we put them into a, a, uh, a life that then brings life. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's spend a little bit of time in prayer, just considering this before the Lord. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, your grace. Thank you that you sought us. Uh, Lord, thank you that you were patient with us, that as we were desperate and as we were hopeless, uh, Lord, you, you welcomed us into your field. You left a little behind for us. You left handfuls on the ground for us to find until we, uh, until we came face to face with you, until we came to the place where we were willing to ask you uh, to come and spread your wings over us to take us to yourself. Lord, in these days, I pray that um, the simplicity of the, the kind of love that Boaz saw in Ruth, Lord, I pray that that would be flourishing in our lives. That every life in this room would be full 
of little acts of, of, of loving kindness. That we would see the people that you have given us to. And that our hearts would be moved. Just like Ruth's heart was moved for Naomi. That we would see people in, in light of that. And that that would cause us to set aside our own life. To set aside our own agenda. And to go where you've called us to go. Make us willing, Lord. Um, Lord, I thank you that, that everything you call us to do, you've done for us yourself. And I pray that we would rest in that. And draw all of our life and all of our uh, ministry and love directly from you. Thank you for this time of uh, being in your word. I thank you for uh, meeting us here. And Lord, we look forward to going deeper and deeper and walking with you. I thank you that you walk with us, that you're faithful to us, and that you are making us a blessing in the earth. We receive it deeply in Jesus' name. Amen.